In pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. 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 Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. Hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. We've got a lot of beautiful songs, but is our life a song to God? I just want to challenge you a little about worship this morning. How many in the house are dog lovers? Not a lot. We're Africans. Well, I have dogs, and I love my dogs. And I'll tell you why I love my dogs, because they worship me. Anybody who has a dog knows that. Um, one of mine, I, you know, they say that God is no respect of persons, but I do believe he has favorites. And I think we see that in the story of Joseph, that uh, Joseph was his dad's favorite. Why? Because he was always running after his father. He curried the favor of his father's heart. and. Uh, I have, one of my dogs is probably my favorite, although I'd never let the others know that. But I know that she worships me. If she's eating and I leave the room, she leaves that food to follow me. And I think about the fact that I have to pray up a fast. She will leave everything to follow me. Nothing matters more to her than my presence. I wonder if we really feel that way about God. I think on Sunday we do a great job. But I'm here, church, to challenge us all. I believe that we're entering into a new season of life in the body of Christ and that our lives and our lifestyle must be the ultimate act of worship that we give to God. You know, the name, the word worship is it's not just a noun, it's also a verb. Worship is, as a noun is a state of being, but uh, the verb is, of course, you know, activity. And it means to love unquestioningly and uncritically and to excess. Do you love God to excess? You see, we sang this morning one of my favorite songs, you know, we, your temple, give you reverence. And when we see ourselves as temples, then we see God at work in our lives. We as living temples of God are triune beings. We are spirit, we are soul, we are body, mimicking the actual temple that God had built with the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. And so God invites each of us to press past the outer court of our flesh, past the inner court of living in the soulish realm, and press into the holy of holies where we truly live in the spirit and worship him in spirit and in truth. Even in the process of worship service, we go from glory to glory. We go from invitation to celebration to adoration. And if you know anything about worship intimately, you know that worship is your greatest weapon of warfare. After all is said and done and you've bound and you've loosed and you've arrested and you've cast down and you've pulled up and you've overthrown and you've pleaded with God, simply worship. Jehoshaphat found that out, didn't he? At a time when he was full of fear with the army impending, coming against him, he did something radical. Instead of sending out the army first, he sent out the choir. Who does that? 
He sent out the choir. And by the time the army showed up, the, the, the offense, the, the enemy had become so confused by the praise and worship that they had turned on one another and defeated themselves before the army ever showed up. You see, the devil knows the importance of our worship. And he comes after it. He knows that if he can disable your worship, he's defeated you and separated you from God. He tried it on Jesus, but Jesus didn't go for it. And he didn't spend a lot of time. You know, I feel like sometimes the devil gets too much of our time in conversation. Jesus kept very short conversations with the devil. It is written. It is written. It is written. Okay, leave. Wow. The devil offered him the world. I don't know why he thought he really owned it. He didn't. But in that moment, Jesus reminded him, the word says, it is written that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, it's interesting that he used the word serve there for worship. You will not serve yourself. You will not live in the flesh because to do so is to make yourself God. And you've been called and created to serve and worship God. Did you know that worship has a fragrance? God delights in the fragrance of our worship when it's served up the way he likes it. Now, you know, I think sometimes we compromise that and we go, well, God knows my heart. God says, no, 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 I don't like that worship. As we know, there's a story in the word of God found in Exodus chapter 30, if you've never read it, where there was a, a recipe given to Moses for the incense that was to burn before God when they worshiped. And there were five main ingredients. And he said, you're not to copy the mixture for your own use. It is holy to God. Keep it that way, and whoever copies it for personal use will be excommunicated. So God was saying, don't mix it up. Don't make a fake copy and wear it as perfume. I want pure worship. But as you know, Nadab and Abihu got together, and they decided that they would concoct their own recipe for worship. And the word goes on to tell us that they offered strange fire to God. Something that God had not commanded and fire blazed out from God and consumed them and they died in the presence of God. And I just, I was just pondering on that scripture one day and I said, you know, it's the same thing that happens to us when we mix it up. We get consumed by our own actions, our compromises. And we say, God knows my heart. And he says, yes, I do by your actions. I know it by the fragrance of your worship. Because I've commanded specific ingredients that I consider worship and I will settle for nothing less than that. The tolerance of sin causes us to die by degrees and it kills the legacy that God wants us to plant in the earth realm. So what does pervert our worship? What makes it ineffective? Because we're told in the scripture that Romans 2.12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or execute what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, that's one will. It's not three. You don't get to pick a good will or perfect will or acceptable. It's all one. 
He's just saying that what he finds good is also considered acceptable and perfect in his sight. Amen? And I believe that these days there's just this disconnect between the word of God and our worship of God. And God, this is not a warm and fuzzy message, God is tired of compromise. He's tired of lip service. In Isaiah 29, 13, in the New Living Translation, he says, the people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Now, anybody who hangs out with me knows that I have a phrase I use a lot. When people go a little to the left, I go, excuse me, do you know Jesus? He's watching. He doesn't leave the room when you decide to do what you feel like doing. You know, there have been times in my life that I know I've wanted to say, excuse me, Jesus, I'll be back in five minutes. I need to handle this in the flesh. But in those moments, God doesn't go anywhere. I remember uh, there's a story that I heard a long time ago that made such an impact on me. Uh, it, it was a story of Jesus had visited this woman's house, and she decided to go shopping. Mm-mm. Ladies, even how we shop is worship to God. And so the lady said to Jesus, um, you know, Lord, I'm going to go out for a few minutes to do some shopping, and you don't need to go with me. I'll be back. She headed to the door, and Jesus started following her. She said, no, no, no. Really, seriously, you don't need to go. I, I can handle this on my own. And she went back to the door, and she noticed that Jesus was still following. She said, I told you, you don't need to go shopping with me. I can do that on my own. And she headed to the door, and Jesus still kept coming. So she came back in the room, and she hung him back up on the cross. And she, as she was banging in the nail, she said, didn't I tell you to stay here? That's what we do. We decide when Jesus should go with us and when he shouldn't. We decide when he should observe our actions and when he shouldn't. But there's this one little catch. He says, I will never leave you. Will forsake you. And so he's always present. So what does true worship look like? We know that Jesus had a conversation with a woman at a well who had some issues. She had a past. She had struggled in her relationships. And she finally, in frustration, said to him, tell me how we get to God. Because you people say that we should worship over here. And you guys worship there. And Jesus says something very profound to her. He says, the problem is you don't know who you worship. And I dare say that even though we sing a hundred songs and we come to church and we clap every week, that sometimes we still don't really know who we're serving. We haven't pressed into that intimate place to really become well acquainted with his glory, with his power, with the purity of his heart, who he truly is. Because if we saw him as he truly was, we would begin to be trans transformed into his image. You see, we were created to be transformed into his image. From the beginning of time in Ephesians, before we were even a thought in our parents' lives, it said that he had his mind focused on us as the object of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. So his ultimate aim always was for us to be transformed into his image. Actually, it was the first thing he spoke in the garden, wasn't it? He said, come, let us make man in our image. And he has never deterred from his first desire that we all look like him. 
He said, the time is coming to this woman, and in fact has come, when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. It's the kind of people that the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Those who worship him must do it out of their very, very beings, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. And when this woman got the revelation of who she was really talking to, remember in the conversation he said, if you knew who you were talking to? Well, at the end she knew who she was talking to and it transformed her. And in her transformation, Others were transformed. If we know anything about history, she went on to evangelize that entire area and later died a martyr for her faith. So the point of the story is that true worship transforms us. Romans 12, 1 in the message version says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. And don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best of you, developing well-formed maturity in you. Why? Because true worship is a lifestyle. It, inhib it inhabits every choice you make. Every decision that you make, every habit that you have, it should be bleeding into who you are. It should be a part of your DNA that everything within you bows to God. Singing and worshiping a song is not enough. That just sets the mood for true worship. Amen? I don't know about you, but I think I live in a musical. Worship songs are always swirling in my head. And I tell you, they keep me in check. Amen? As, as he gave five ingredients to the priest for the incense, I believe that there are five ingredients in our life today that are the ingredients of our worship. The first is faith. Ultimate trust is an act of worship to God. To trust God is the highest form of regard that you can have for him. And it leads to you doing whatever the beloved wants. When it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, what pleases God? Obedience. He says, I prefer obedience over sacrifice. What faith does is believes that God will meet you on the other side of your obedience and bless you for it, which he's promised you. Amen? So if you really believe him, you will do what he says because you will always believe for the ultimate victorious outcome, that God has your back when you meet him on the other side of your obedience. Sometimes he doesn't let you know what's going on or what he will do for you, and that's where trust comes in, that you follow after him even when you don't understand what's going on in your life. You say, yes, Lord, and everything in your system bows to that, and he meets you where you are. The second thing, of course, the second ingredient is that obedience. Obedience is an act of love. Amen? 
He says, if you truly love me, John 14, 15, you will keep or obey my commandments. That is proof of love to the Lord. I remember I had a friend, Frank, he's gone home to be with the Lord now. And we asked him one day, well, um, when, what is the greatest act of love that your wife, Bunny, can do for you? He says, I believe that she loves me when she does what I ask. And I believe most of us are that way. Amen? So the ultimate act of worship, of course, after faith, faith breeds obedience. Amen? And then the third ingredient, giving. Now, I'm not talking about just tithes and offerings. I'm talking about giving yourself. I'm talking about service. I'm talking about giving your time. I'm talking about pouring yourself out for the benefit of others. God so loved the world that he gave. Amen? And the Bible says that our heart will always pursue what we value as our treasure. And so it is important and it's significant to God that an act of worship is our giving. You know, I, I think sometimes we've used the vernacular so much that we miss the point when we say sow a seed. We're, we're not, we're not uh, buying blessings from God. That's not what that's about. You cannot purchase blessings from God. But what you can do is thank him in anticipation of him blessing you. Amen? Our offerings now are our thank you to God. It's not, it's not a transactional thing. It's not I give you something, you give me something back. No, he's already given you everything. God doesn't owe you anything else. There's nothing on his balance sheet left for you. Amen? We are now giving as our thank you unto God as an act of worship. And then, number four, another ingredient of worship is purity. Amen? He says... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. Amen? Now, we know that back in the day, they had temples. They had temple prostitutes, and they did all kinds of woo, pornographic acts there before God's as an act of worship. And Paul comes on the scene and says, stop that. Now offer your bodies in purity to God. Amen? Respect passion. Uh, walk in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, because we're not just talking about just sex here. And if I had more time, of course, I could get into how sex itself is an act of worship. And that's why singles shouldn't do it, because that man doesn't deserve to be called Lord if you're not in covenant, if he hasn't laid down his life for you. But we're called to walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So purity becomes something that adds value to the kingdom, that adds value to relationship with God, that should make others hunger and thirst for righteousness because of the integrity and the sound character they see exhibited in the life of those who say they know God. And finally, fulfilling your purpose. is an act of worship. Yes, your day job is an act of worship. And that's why he says to do it as unto the Lord, not as unto your boss. To be excellent even when your boss isn't looking because you really work for God who will reward you. Amen? Being fruitful, multiplying the kingdom of God because you're standing in a place like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Joseph, all those who've gone before us planted in heathen nations that just reflected the glory of God on their lives to the point where the foreigners around them chose to follow their God because of who they were and the excellence they saw at work and the integrity in the lives of those people. Amen? 
I love the story of Daniel when he's in the lion's den and the king can't sleep. And he gets up and he says, Daniel, is a God you serve able to keep you? And he says, yes, sir. And he gets up and he decrees that all of Babylon should serve Daniel's God. I want to see that happen again. I want to see revival not just in England but everywhere where Christians are walking in such integrity and such victory, reflecting the glory and the power and the presence of God to such a place that the people around them say, we need to follow their God. There's a saying, share Christ with as many people as possible and only use words when necessary. Your life as an act of worship to God will always cause others to, have, to hunger and to thirst for God. We are to be subduing evil, speaking out when we see wrong. Evil flourishes when good men do nothing. We are to be walking in dominion. There should be a presence about us when we walk into a room. We are atmosphere changers because we have this treasure in earthen vessels that we bring into every place that we enter. And when we enter, everything in the room should shift and bow to the glory of God. Behavior should change. Language should change. Mindsets should change. Amen? That is true worship. So the, the garden mandate hasn't changed. Be fruitful. Be productive. Multiply. Multiply the kingdom of God. Walk in dominion. Subdue evil. That is all acts of worship unto God. That is when we fulfill the great commission of going into the highways and the byways, compelling them to come when we walk in that ordinance from the garden. Amen? And so in closing, I just want to encourage you to be true worshipers. Let it not just be a song that comes from your lips, but let it come from your active lifestyle of walking in surrender to him in all areas of your life. Worship is your language changing. Worship is your habits changing. Worship is the works of your hand showing the kindness and the power of God, compassion and service. You have an example here in the life of Shola. She gives herself quietly, unassumingly, not asking for anything. I don't think she's ever complained. Do you complain? But she's such an amazing example of that. There's such a grace over her life. But that grace belongs to all of us if we choose to embrace it and utilize it. Amen? So the highest position of worship is on our faces before God in continual surrender. Whenever that thing rises up in you that you know God doesn't like, falling on your face and saying, God, I give this back to you. I give this area of my character back to you. I give this area of my thoughts back to you. I give this ugly habit back to you. He takes that as a sweet-smelling fragrance, and he begins to work and to will and to do in your life and complete what he has begun. Pure and untainted worship saturates every choice we make. It rules our lifestyle. And when God becomes the first thought when faced with temptation, you've become a true worshiper. And submission, worship, is bowing and releasing all. Finally, worship transforms us into the image of Christ. And we are called to reflect him to the world and to be true transformers, not in the sense of being a cartoon, but being a real live example of what Christ looks like.
You know, glorifying God is being an accurate reflection of what he looks like, exhibiting his power and his presence. Amen? Being a convicting force. Now, conviction is not condemnation. Let's be very clear. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, he doesn't beat you up. He just reminds you who you are and the posture that you walk in based on who you are as a child of God. You're above that. That's beneath you. Don't partake in that. That's not for commoners. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Walk in his light. Display his light to the world. And finally, remember that the grace of God is not just for salvation. It is an empowering grace that makes you obedient to the word of God. It empowers you to do what God called you to do because God would never ask you to do something he hasn't equipped you to do, amen? And so he gives you that grace, and in 2 Peter it tells you that he's given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. God has covered every facet of your life, the natural, the spiritual, amen? He has equipped you to handle both facets of life so that you can become a divine partaker of his character, which is true worship. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we bless you and we give you praise. And I pray, Lord God, that this word will stick, that it will stick in our spirits and revolutionize our mindset and give us a new purpose and a new vigor to look like you. Lord, let our worship be pure and untainted. Let it saturate our lifestyle. Let it be in our DNA as we walk in submission and obedience to you, displaying your character to the world. Lord, forgive us for those moments when we've stepped into another dimension of the temple, walking in our flesh. Help us to press back into the Holy of Holies, walking truly in the Spirit, allowing your grace at work in us to cause us to look like you and to become true worshipers. In Jesus' name, amen.